Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 22. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about hellish houses, paranormal predators, uncontrollable urges, and nefarious numbers. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this, and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author John Thomas. Without further ado, I present to you Code. 
There's a code enforcement officer and not well liked by the citizens of Winter Garden, Florida. Most of the time, people tend to get upset when you tell them something about their property violates the standards of the city. I've only been doing this job about six months now. Well, most of the citizens have lived here longer than I've been alive. Naturally, they defend their land, and I always play the sympathetic role. After all, the city's goal is to get voluntary compliance, and no one wants to comply with someone yelling demands at them, so I always kill them with kindness, as I say. We tread especially lightly on the east side of town. This is where most of the lower-income families live, and there are still a handful of properties that haven't been annexed into the city. We let most violations slide, only addressing extreme cases, like unsafe buildings and responding to citizen complaints. A few weeks ago, I was driving down Lincoln Terrace on the east side of town when I noticed a house. I'd never noticed this particular house before, but there it was, a pale yellow paint that had been faded away from years of sun exposure and rain. It had probably seen a few hurricanes, too. The twin windows that faced the road were broken, and the frames falling from the rotted wood opening. Now, have I ever noticed this before? I thought, looking intently at the house. I've been in just about every neighborhood in the city, and observed what I thought was every dilapidated house in the city, but I could be wrong. I do have a tendency to focus on one side of the road, when I'm driving through neighborhoods, and I tend to shy away from the east side of town, since we're letting most things slide. This was one thing that I was sure needed to be addressed quickly. This house could collapse at any minute. I flipped on the yellow strobe lights in my city vehicle and put the car in park. I pulled a small memo pad out of the center console, then the tape measure from my glove box, I jumped out of the car in a quick, swift motion and made my way toward the front door. I measured the grass as I went up to the door front. Twenty-four inches. I said to myself as I scribbled it down in my notepad. I also took note of the address. 1080 Lincoln Terrace, I said again as I jotted the note in my pad. I pulled out my phone and took a picture of the house. The chain-link fence that surrounded the yard was rusted and falling down in some spots. I could see through the opening where the twin window once was, and the roof had caved in. There was now a large, gaping hole in the roof with shingles and insulation sprawled throughout the inside. I gave three good knocks to the front door, knowing no one would answer. Our official policy was to get the owner's consent before entering any property. The city didn't want to be accused of trespassing, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I needed to open the front door. I have to see the inside, I said to myself. I reached for the small brass doorknob and it. As I did, I felt an unshakable feeling of dread creep over me. I knew what I was doing was against policy, but something was telling me I needed to keep going. I pushed the door inward and was immediately met with a terrible stench. Something like urine and metal shavings coated the inside of my nostrils and my eyes started to water. 
gagged and swallowed hard, trying to keep the bile from working its way up my esophagus. I pulled my white cotton undershirt up over my nose and mouth in an attempt to keep the stench away and stepped through the doorway. Suddenly, I heard a loud slamming noise, like a door closing, followed by what sounded like wood falling onto a hard surface. Hello? I yelled, trying to sound like my usual friendly self. My name's John. I'm with the city. Still trying to project a non-threatening tone. It felt nearly impossible with this horrific odor. Uh, choking me. There was no response. Hmm. Must be some other part of the house caving in. I said to myself as I stepped further into decaying structures. Better make this quick. Old furniture lay deteriorated and destroyed, scattered throughout what used to be the living room. Remnants of the collapsed roof covering what was left of the small living room. Every surface was coated in a thin layer of mildew from exposure to the elements and gave off a pale greenish-yellow glow. Then I heard something. I couldn't pinpoint exactly where it was coming from, and it was so faint that I could barely make out what it was, but I knew it was a voice. It was almost like a whisper, but it was growing louder. Now I could make out what it was saying. Isabella! The voice whispered. It sounded distant, but close at the same time, and came from all directions. For a second, it felt like someone was whispering into my ear from behind. I turned with a jolt, scanning my surroundings. There was no one, but the voice persisted. Isabella! It sounded like a woman's voice, an old woman with a raspy smoker's voice. It repeated over and over again, longingly, as if it was calling for someone. Each time, the voice grew louder. Isabella! Isabella! The voice was so loud at this point that it began to disorient me. Isabella! A thunderous voice shouted with anger, then all fell silent. Suddenly, the walls began shaking violently. Drywall and insulation fell around me, and I knew at that point I had to leave. The house was about to collapse. I got to my bearings, best I could, and ran out the front door as fast as my legs could move. I jumped in my car and slammed the door, let out a sigh of relief. From the outside, the house appeared the same as it was when I stopped. The shaking had stopped, and there was no evidence that the house was on the verge of collapsing, other than its obvious dilapidated state. What the hell was that? I said to myself, still trying to catch my breath. Who is Isabella? Where was that voice coming from? And the shaking. I had so many questions, but I couldn't ask anyone. No one could know I was there, otherwise I'd lose my job and, possibly, have legal action taken against me. I'd better keep this to myself. I don't want anyone finding out that I went against city policy, or better yet, thinking I'm some sort of lunatic. I thought, as I put the car in drive and slowly pulled away from the house... I tried to go about the rest of my day like normal, patrolling neighborhoods and looking for any code violations. But that experience played over and over in my mind. 
and that smell, that horrible smell of blood and piss. What could cause such a thing? I tried to put the whole thing in the back of my mind. I knew I just needed to wait for our weekly meeting and I'd show my boss, Steve, the photo and he would have me start with the condemnation process. Pulled my cell phone from my breast pocket and opened the photos app, hoping to see something in the photo I took just before entering the home. To my surprise, the photo showed a perfectly normal home, stucco exterior and shining, glistening windows. The fence that had fallen stood tall, free of any rust or apparent decay. The yard was beautifully mowed, and there was no evidence of any violations. What? I said, questioning my sanity. No, that's not right. There's no way. I saw the house with my own eyes. It was falling down, overgrown. I couldn't fathom what could possibly cause such a phenomenon, but I knew I needed to go back the next day to investigate. That night, my dreams were invaded by a headless silhouette of a woman pointing long, bony fingers at me and saying in that raspy voice that was so familiar, Isabella. I awoke to my wife, Catherine, shaking me violently, trying to wake me up. She said that I was shaking and saying something under my breath. I told her it was just a nightmare and apologized for waking her still didn't quite understand what I was dealing with, and I didn't want to get her involved and risk her safety if I didn't have to. She told me it was okay and rolled back over and went to bed. I tossed and turned for what seemed like hours before finally falling back to sleep. I woke up the next morning, and after sluggishly getting ready, I pulled the three thirty caliber revolver from the safe under my bed and secured it in a small concealed ankle holster on my right leg. I also grabbed the painter's mask from my storage closet, hoping it might mask that horrendous odor that I was inevitable when I returned to the horrific house. I arrived at work, gave my usual good mornings, and set out telling my boss I was going on patrol pulled in front of the house. Just the sight of it sent chills down my spine. I sat in my car, staring at the house. I was trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do. Then a thought hit me. Take another picture, I thought. I pulled out my cell phone from its usual perch in my breast pocket and opened the camera. Looking through the camera on my cell phone screen, the house looked as it was in real life. The dilapidated structure stood, appearing ready to fall at any moment. I snapped a quick photo and immediately checked it. The house was perfect in the photo, not a scratch in sight. The photo looked like it would be on a real estate website. I lowered my phone and brought my eyes to the house, staring directly at the fallen window. I noticed a shadow move across the window. That was enough to tell me I needed to go in. I pulled the painter's mask from my center console and parted from my car, flipping my yellow strobe lights on as I exited the vehicle. When I arrived at the front door, I gave three hard knocks, so hard that I could feel the door move with each hit. 
There was no answer. I slipped the painter's mask on my face, making sure all the edges were sealed, and slowly opened the front door. As I stepped in, I felt a warm, humid wind blow across my face, but there was no smell. The mask was successfully keeping the scent at bay. Not knowing how much time I had until I'm struck with another Isabella episode, I began sifting through piles of rubble trying to find a clear path. I noticed a clear area that moved around the living room and forked to the end. Left, went toward the back of the house, down a hallway that I couldn't quite see down, and right went into the open kitchen where I could see something in a black cast-iron pot bubbling on the stove. I moved closer to the bubbling stew on the stove, kicking through old pieces of broken drywall and rotted two-by-fours. I passed a half-wall when I came across a dining-room table that was still intact. On the table were notes and pages scattered, all with shapes and symbols similar to old runic letters. What is this, I thought. Witchcraft? From what little I knew about witchcraft, I knew that it was not something I wanted to get involved with. The path came to a dead end after the kitchen, so I turned around and headed back into the living room. I followed the path through the back hall, debris lining the hallway like a scene from a post-apocalyptic movie. I peeked my head through a doorway on my left. Nothing but remnants of the ceiling and insulation scattered throughout a small 1970s-era bathroom. I continued down the hall and came to a door. It was cracked open, and I could see movement inside. What I saw when I opened the door, I will never forget. A black figure stood in front of me. It appeared to be a woman, but she was missing her head, and a thick black tarry substance was pouring from her severed neck. She quickly turned to reveal a grotesque figure of a short, frail woman with a pale gray skin stretched tightly over her bones. Inhumanly long, bony fingers with a jagged black in her right arm. It was her head, cradled like a football. Its lips were moving, and it was saying an all-too-familiar word. Isabella! Her thick, raspy voice echoing in my ears. I nearly collapsed from fear, but I couldn't move, like I was being held in place by some invisible force. Paralyzed, I stood there as she pointed her inhumanly long finger at me and began hobbling slowly toward me, saying, Isabella, Isabella, Isabella. Suddenly she put her finger down and grasped her chest with her free hand as if she was having a heart attack. She gasped and coughed violently, falling to her knees, but still managing to grasp her head in her right arm. I felt the hold on me release, and I stumbled for a second before regaining my balance. Pure fear and adrenaline fueling me, I remembered the gun I had on my ankle. I quickly reached down and grabbed it. Swiftly pointed the gun at the undead witch, I felt the hold come over me again. She was standing again and pointing at me continuously, saying that name. The hold felt different this time, though, not as tight. I concentrated hard, 
thinking about squeezing the trigger on the gun and trying so hard to regain control of my body. Sharp pains rippled through my body, and I felt a strong headache come on. She continued holding, slowly hobbling toward me, pointing, Bella! She must have been inches away from me when I felt my index finger fall on the trigger and heard a loud crack. The witch stopped, appearing shocked. She lowered her hand. A hole in her chest had begun spewing the black substance as she fell to her knees. She let out an inhuman squeal, and I felt the hold release. Not wasting any time, I quickly fired another shot and she collapsed. Her head rolled from her arms and revealed a clean shot directly over her right eye. Unsure of what just happened, I turned and ran as quickly as I possibly could. Did I just kill that woman? I thought as I exited the house. Was she even human, or was she some kind of zombie witch? I quickly opened the door to my car and jumped in. I waited, catching my breath and regaining my bearings. I looked around to see if anyone was outside who may have heard what transpired, but I saw no one. I watched the house for what felt like an eternity, waiting for any sign of the horrific witch, but there was no movement. I still felt uneasy, the uncertainty weighing on me. Was this whole thing over, or was that horrific witch going to come back? Then I thought of it. The picture. Maybe it was some sort of spell or something. I quickly pulled the phone from my pocket and snapped a photo. There it stood, the dilapidated, decaying structure just as decrepit as it was in person. I felt a wave of relief flow over me and lowered my phone. It's been three weeks now since that incident. After telling my wife about it, we both took a vacation and went to Key West for two weeks. We figured it would do us some good to get away and reset. I'm finally back at work, and for the first couple of days, I stayed off the east side of town, but duty calls, and I couldn't stay off that side of town forever. I drove by that hellish house yesterday and noticed a construction crew consisting of a few good old boys who rented an excavator. They were demolishing the house. The carport had already been torn down, and metal fragments lay scattered throughout the overgrown front yard. I opened my laptop and logged into our permit software. Demolitions require a permit with our city, but I didn't see one on file. I sat there, contemplating what to do. I put the car in drive and slowly pulled away from the job site. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Our second story today comes to us from author Jarvis B. Chavez. I present to you Desert Bats. As I hurriedly stumbled down from the back of the troop transport, I fell on all fours under the hardest desert ground. The sun had just finished setting on the desolate canyon. It was pitch black. I pulled on the night vision goggles and yanked on the straps to adjust them to fit my head. I then looked in the direction of the ridge directly above me. I quickly scanned from left to right to see if I could see anyone. I didn't see anything. Yet. When I had first joined the U.S. Army, I never envisioned myself fighting the supernatural, fighting vampires. I'm Corporal Nick Berryson. I was currently serving in Afghanistan with an infantry unit. We got orders to check out some intel that the nearby hills were harboring enemy troops. These troops were sneaking back and forth across the border using these hills. We were supposed to check it out and report back to base. If we found large numbers of them, we had orders to radio in for an airstrike on their location. We were a group of nine men. Our squad leader was Sergeant Marinos. Corporal Savage and I were the next in charge. I pulled a clip out of my pocket and loaded my automatic handgun. I holstered it and checked my backpack to see if I had an extra ammo for my M16 and checked for my Bowie knife. Luckily, it was all there. I peeked around the truck felt the sweat run down my face. There seemed to be no movement in the canyon. The mission had been nothing but trouble from the start. Just before we reached these cursed hills, our radio operator informed us that there was some type of interference in the area and he could not send or receive any communications. Corporal Savage said that it was probably due to the different type of magnetic ores in these hills and rock formations. The Sarge agreed and made the decision to continue, despite the situation. He said we would just have to do our reconnaissance and wait to get out of the area before we could radio back to the base with our report. Translation, 
we'd be on our own. If we ran into any problem, we could not request help or immediate evac. Maybe we should have all taken this as a bad omen. Of course, we didn't. We hiked into the area as ordered. We came to the foot of the mountain range. We located a trail that took us deep into the heart of the mountain. The path led us to a fork in the road. It split into two paths. One led off toward a smaller canyon, the other to a larger one, according to our map. We split into teams. Corporal Savage would lead one team, and the sergeant and I would lead the other. Our walkie-talkies didn't work, so we agreed that just before dusk, each team would send a man back to meet here at the fork to update the other what they'd found and await further orders. We were in charge of sweeping the smaller of the canyons. We fanned out in different directions. The canyon was curved. We could not see the end of it. The Sarge sent two men on ahead to scout it out. The canyon walls were barren with only a few shallow caves. They could only accommodate one man lying down in a fetal position. One of the soldiers came running towards the Sarge and myself. Sarge, uh, we found an abandoned military truck at the end of the canyon, sir. It's an old transport truck that had a tarp covering the back. All the tires were ripped to shreds and the hood on the truck was open. Upon closer inspection, it looked like somebody had broken apart the engine into pieces. This left us scratching our heads. What do you make of it, Sarge? I asked. He rubbed his chin. Well, this is the same type of truck used by the enemy. The truck may have had some kind of mechanical problem and broke down. They couldn't repair it, so they disabled it to make sure no one else could use it. It seemed like a reasonable explanation at the time. We looked through the truck and found nothing. It was clean. We spent the rest of the afternoon searching that canyon with a fine-toothed comb. It was just before sunset when all the men reported in, saying the canyon was all clear. The Sarge walked over to me and said, Get one of the men to go back to the fork and wait for the Corporal Savage's messenger. The Sarge turned toward the men and said, the rest of you men take twenty and have some chow while we wait for the corporal's report. We all took a seat on the ground and broke out our rations. I ripped open my package. Score! I got a packet of jalapeno cheese spread with crackers. I held out. The sarge turned to me and said, You lucky bastard. The jalapeno cheese spread was a highly sought-after MRE item. As I was about to rip open the cheese spread, there was a loud explosion. What the hell was that? I explained. The Sarge jumped to his feet and looked toward the sky. The plume of smoke was rising far off in the distance. That's coming from the next canyon, remarked the Sarge. I mean, Corporal Savage's canyon. We both looked at each other. I turned and yelled out, Gear up! We're going to go get Corporal Savage and his team. We were getting our gear on to leave. The Sarge decided we should store some of our heavier gear and our radio in the abandoned truck for now. We need to travel light. We'll come back for the stuff later. We made our way to the next canyon. We followed the smoke to a large cave opening at the top of the canyon wall. As we got closer, we saw something laying near the foot of the canyon. It was covered in black soot. I walked ahead, and, and I recognized it as one of our men face down in the sand. It was P.F.C. Kowalski. 
I turned him over and saw blood pouring out of his abdomen. Then he opened his eyes and let out a gasp. I yelled out, He's alive! Nadalny, get over here! Our combat medic, Private Nadalny, ran over. He quickly pulled his pack open and started pulling out bandages in an IV bag. The Sarge came over and kneeled down next to Kowalski. Easy there, soldier. Let Nadalny patch you up, remarked the Sarge. He leaned in closer. What happened? Kowalski looked up at the Sarge. We decided to sweep the big cave first. He pointed to the cave opening just above us. There's a tunnel that leads... leads down about ten feet to a lower level. That's where we were attacked by a bunch of them. One of them sliced me open like a fish. The corporal shot it in the face and grabbed me. We couldn't hold them off, so the corporal gave us orders to fall back. We were overwhelmed and started dropping like flies. The corporal and I managed to make our way back towards the mouth of the cave. He then pulled out two grenades from his pack and said he could not let them get out of the cave. He pushed me out of the cave and he ran back towards the cave. Then there was a big explosion. Christ! The Sarge explained. Corporal Savage took all those bastards with him, I added. Then Kowalski just closed his eyes and fell limp. Nadalny looked up at the Sarge. He's gone. There was a momentary silence. So, should we start digging for a possible survivor, Sarge? I remarked. Negative, Corporal Bison, replied the Sarge. This mission is over. We don't have the time or equipment to dig or mourn for anyone. That explosion got our attention and may bring more of the enemy looking for their men. We'll swing back to pick up our gear we stored in the abandoned truck. Luckily for us, the sun is setting now. We'll use the cover of darkness to get out of here. We have the night vision equipment we can use. As soon as we clear the radio dead zone, I'll call in for extraction. I turned towards the man and yelled out, Okay, you heard the Sarge. Two minutes, people. Get hot. As I stood up, I saw the sun sink slowly below the horizon. All of a sudden, we felt the ground shake violently. We saw what looked like a black swarm of bees rocket out of one of the smaller caves further down the canyon. The swarm then slowly maneuvered straight towards us. As this swarm drew closer, we noticed it was not bees coming towards us. The Sarge raised his machine gun and yelled out, Incoming! What happened next felt surreal. It all seemed like it was happening in slow motion. The things broke flight formation and landed on two legs. There were five of these creatures. One landed just in front of the Sarge, just a few feet away from me. It towered over the Sarge, who was six foot two. It was at least seven feet tall. The thing was covered in a leathery-looking gray flesh. It was thin and lanky like a runner. It had a bulbous head with pointy ears. He had long arms. A large pair of membranous bat-like wings sprung from its back. The thing that I will never forget is its large, glowing red eyes, like a demon out of hell. For a second, I couldn't move. I just felt frozen in place. The Sarge opened fire on the thing. At that point, my instincts must have kicked in because... I raised my weapon and started shooting at it. 
Everyone started firing off their weapons. The machine gun fire was deafening. You could see all the rounds hit this thing. The creature fell back from the sheer impact of the rounds being shot from both the Sarge and me. The thing went, then slowly got back up off the ground. It bared its long fangs and stared us down. It looked pissed. It let out an ear-piercing shriek. All of our rounds had done nothing to this thing. It immediately leapt toward the Sarge. The thing pulled a machine gun out of his hands and tossed it aside. It then grabbed the captain's head, pulled up on it, then forced his head back with a loud crack. His body fell to the ground. The thing then turned toward me. It ran at me and grabbed me around my ribs and squeezed. I felt a shooting pain run right through me. I involuntarily dropped my M-16. I felt this thing leap, and we were airborne. I quickly pulled up my sidearm and rammed it into the creature's mouth, discharging it several times. The bat's head snapped back violently. Its body started to shake like it was having some kind of seizure. We came crashing to the ground like a ton of bricks. I managed to roll clear of the bat. We'd landed on top of the hill opposite the mouth of the cave. I saw the creature trying to get up. It was doubled over like it was in pain. It was holding its head with its two hands. It stumbled around like it was drunk. Then it wandered to the edge of the hill and fell to the canyon floor. As I looked over the edge to see it lying lifeless on the canyon floor, I saw another one of these things sink its fangs into the neck of Private Watson. The rest of these things looked like they were actually feasting on the flesh of my team. I turned away and tried to think of what to do next. I need to warn the army. I got up and headed in the direction of the canyon we had stored the rest of the equipment. I ran occasionally, looking back to see if I was being followed. I was able to double-time it back to the canyon by being able to go over the hill instead of around it like we had done earlier. I managed to climb down the canyon wall safely, and when I reached the truck I grabbed an M-16 we had left behind and our radio. I was going to stick to the Sarge's original plan to use the night vision goggles to help me get out of this fucking canyon tonight. My mind was still spinning with everything I had just seen. Were these things really vampires, like from the movies? What a time to be caught without a cross or a clove of garlic. They're referred to in legend as the undead, meaning they're practically invulnerable and can't be killed easy. They didn't go down with machine gun fire, that's for sure. Their hides seemed to be very thick and tough like an elephant's. However, the bat that grabbed me seemed to have felt the rounds I let off in its mouth. Could it be that they have delicate tissue inside its head and mouth like we do? I didn't see blood spurred out of its head, but maybe that tough hide of his kept the rounds from blasting through. It was something to think about. I cautiously maneuvered my way down the canyon. I would only stop to take cover behind rocks or the occasional tree. I saw the bats fly overhead a couple of times, but I was never spotted by them. I would also hear their high-pitched squeal echoing off the canyon walls. This made it difficult to pinpoint the direction the sound was coming from. I used to think the people of this region were just overly superstitious. They would tell fanciful tales of jinns and ghouls living deep in the desert. I guess all legends have a basis in fact. 
These things did not show themselves until the sunset. That was one part of the legend I was hoping was true. If I could make it until dawn, I had a good chance of surviving. My adrenaline must have been pumping at full blast. I swear I don't even remember how I got to the foot of the mountain range. I saw the open desert in front of me. All right, I thought to myself. I pulled out the radio and fired it up, hoping that I could get a signal out. Shit. Nothing but static. Oh, that's okay. All I had to do now was walk further away from these mountains, and I should be able to call out. I swung the radio over my shoulder and started to walk. The sky started to turn to a light blue, then the sun was about to rise. I walked for another fifteen minutes and then fired up the radio. This time I got a signal. I immediately got a female voice. Holy shit, it's working. I gave my squad info, repeat, all my squad dead. Killed by enemy fire. Confirm a force of fifty hiding in caves. Need immediate extraction. Requesting airstrike at the following coordinates. Pulled out the map that had the coordinates and read them off to her. Just before I read off the last number, I heard an intense whooshing sound coming from behind me. I saw one of these things flying towards me at incredible speed. I dropped the radio and reached for my sidearm. It rammed into me with full force. I awoke on the ground of a cave and felt a searing pain coming from my neck. I touched the neck and felt a huge gash. I looked at my hand to see it was covered in blood. I heard movement just in front of me. I tried to get up, but I found I could barely move. Then there was the hissing that seemed to be coming from all around me. Then a ghastly form walked out of the darkness into the moonlight that was coming in through some opening in the cave. It was a female version of these bats. It had breast hanging from its chest. She was smaller and thinner than her male counterparts. Behind her were two taller bats. They seemed to flank her on both sides like they were her bodyguards. I sensed many others around me, even though I could not see them. All of a sudden, they stopped and started looking up toward the ceiling of the cave. That's when I heard it. An explosion. Leave it up to the army. When in doubt about a coordinate, just bomb the whole mountain down. I let out a laugh. I pointed my finger up toward the sky and said, That's my people. I then hit my chest with the open palm of my hand. Hey, Queen of the Damned, let's see you guys get up from this. I gave her the finger. She looked at my finger and seemed to realize what it meant. She bared her fangs and hissed at me. And that's when the ceiling came crashing down on us. Colonel Austin, this is Major Trevor. We just completed the bombardment. Our intel was correct, sir. Yes, sir. I'll get a small recovery team out there before nightfall. Don't worry, sir. We'll comb through all the debris for any valuable enemy intel. We'll stay uh, there all night if we have to. Yes, sir. I'm going to personally take command of the search. No, sir. I foresee no problem with this operation. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season, or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook 
to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.